the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From Talk 910 KNEW San Francisco, this is Rob Black. Rob talks about your money every weekday, live and local, from 10 to noon. Enjoy the show. Live from the Bay Area, your money, your life. This is Rob Black. So where do we start today's show? It's the Rob Black Show. As always, boom, I'm out with a cannon, so to speak. We could talk the business stories of the day. We can talk the odd business stories of the day. We can talk fun stocks to invest in. We can do a little tech talk. We got some California-specific issues out there. For instance, let's start with the California issue, because I think this is this is so California, isn't it? You're, when you hear this, you're going to go, oh, it's killing me. It's killing me. It's tied towards televisions. California may pull the plug on your big TV. Now, we know that California really led the world or led the nation by banning smoking in, in bars and smoking in restaurants. And that's a good thing. There's a lot of good things that have come out of California. But how about this one? Good thing, bad thing. State of California could be the first state in the nation to adopt energy efficiency standards. But some in the electronics industry think it's going to really go to higher prices and job cuts. Concerned that the growing popularity of big screen televisions could make it harder for California to keep pace with the electricity demand for the state. State energy regulators today are poised to crack down on energy-guzzling sets of television. I know, you're saying, I, I, I get SUVs and gas guzzlers. I get taxing sugary drinks. I get taxing cigarettes. But televisions? Now, the first in the nation TV efficiency standards could be required for electronic retailers to sell only energy-sipping models starting in 2011. Even tougher efficiency criteria would follow in 2013. The California Energy Commission is slated to unveil new standards today following a 45-day public comment period. Rules are designed to shave about $8.1 billion off of Californians' electricity bills over a 10-year period. It's a lot of money. They're going to save us money. How much money are you going to save a year by having an energy-sipping TV versus an energy-guzzling TV? Isn't it funny we're even talking TVs as guzzling? $30 a year. It also helped California utilities head off the need to build one more power plant in the state of California just so we, the residents, can watch American Idol. I love me American Idol. Can't wait for it to come back on. Got a new judge this year, Ellen DeGeneres. Okay, I don't really like American Idol. It actually sucks, and it's what's wrong with America. And if you like American Idol, you basically are saying, I like a talent show, because that's basically what it is. It's a glorified talent show. Anyway, increased efficiency is the most cost-effective way of meeting our renewable energy goals, so says Commission Chairwoman Karen Douglas. Environmentalists have applauded those efforts, but some industry groups, including the Consumer Electronic Association, they dispute the notion that new efficiency rules would benefit consumers. About a quarter of current television sets would have to be pulled from the shelves. So we got plenty of TVs to choose from. Now, that could raise television prices because if you take 25% of them away, what's left is competition doesn't have as much competition. 
Does that make sense? So if there's 10 available men and you take two and a half of them away, well, then you're left with a very sloppy half person, which no woman would want. But women would only have seven men to choose from. So it would make them even more desirable and even more picky. We men are picky. Now, the commission appears to be carelessly rushing this flawed regulatory proposal that sets arbitrary limits on TV energy usage. What's next? Are they going to you know, say you can only watch 10 hours a week or 20 hours a week or one hour a week? Big screen TVs have emerged as potential monkey wrench in the state's energy planning. So it's just worthy of throwing out there. 40-inch and larger sets. They use liquid crystal or plasma technology, consume vast amounts of electricity. Research shows that television viewers now account for about 2% of the nation's electricity usage. That's kind of interesting, right? I got a TV on right now, so I'm going to turn it off. I feel bad. I'm actually watching um, Price is Right. And I don't know if I can say this, but that show could be the worst show on television. Who watches The Price is Right? Remember when you were a kid and you watched The Price is Right? You'd stay home from school, sick, <laughs> ma'am, I got, the, I got the black lung. And then you'd sit there and watch game shows, high rollers, and Price is Right. I don't know. I'm digressing yet again. So anyway, um, I think that's an interesting statistic. I mean, I just gave you something to talk about at, at lunch today with your coworker. Did you know that televisions consume about 2% of the electricity in the state of California? I don't know. To me, it seems like they're going... To me, it feels like they're justifying a job. Stock, stock market ever so quickly. Yesterday, we had a bad day on Wall Street. It wasn't really a bad day. It was a weekday. And we've had 8 out of 10 up days. I can't really call it a bad day, can you? Now, I would say a directionless market is probably the best and most kind way of saying what yesterday was. A directionless market. You had some late-day gyrations. Who doesn't like a good gyration? Um, Equity markets ended virtually flat for the day. Little to speak of in terms of market drivers. Quadruple witching expiration today. Slightly stronger dollar. Pre-market indications are directionless. You know the the dollar? You keep hearing about how bad the dollar is having a year. Bad year on the dollar. Bad year on the dollar. Long story short, um, it's not that bad in a 10-year period. Not that bad in a 20-year period. We've been here before. So I guess who I'm talking to right now is that freak out there who's trying to make all of his investment decisions based on where the dollar is now. Crude oil prices declining today. Dollar holds its ground. So yesterday, well, not even yesterday, but this week, this week in review. Is it already Friday? Holy mackerel. Yes, it is. So um, Oracle was weak this week in sales. Best Buy was weak this week in sales. FedEx was a little bit weak in sales on the revenue line. Now, on the earnings line, that's totally different. Revenue is top line. Bottom line is earnings. So when you hear me say top line, bottom line, I'm just speaking that sexy finance speak that I'm so fond of. Palm, they exceeded expectations. Successful three-month-old pre-handset. Ongoing cash burn is forcing the company to raise capital through a $16 million common share offering. What's that mean? Palm has a wonderful product, Palm Pre. And they've got a teeny tiny version of it called the Palm Pixie. Cute, right? But to develop it costs money. To market it costs money. To get those relationships out there costs money. 
So they're going to raise money. How? They're going to issue 16 million shares. So let's say there's 84 million shares already out there. They're going to issue 16 million more. So there's going to be 100 million shares. And what they just basically did, a shareholder is an owner of the company. So what they're doing is they're diluting the value of the shareholder. I hate companies that issue shares. Now, if a company's at an all-time high, like let's say Mike, uh, let's say Apple goes to 220 tomorrow, boom, just like that, like a rocket, boom, and they issue shares, I don't have as much of a problem with it because they're using the share price to raise large amounts of cash when the stock's at an all-time high. I don't mind that. But when a company's under five bucks and can be bought at the dollar store, if you know what I'm saying, issuing shares is not good. It's very dilutive. It's harmful. Now, this morning, Citigroup raised Procter & Gamble. It's declined 10% year-to-date. Market's up huge. So Citigroup is looking around saying, who do we like? Who's still in business that's, that's underperforming the market? Well, Procter & Gamble. So they're raising Procter & Gamble. J.P. Morgan lifted home builder Toll Brothers to overweight. Stock has soared nearly 38% since the month of July. So that upgrade's coming a little bit late. It's like, thank you, J.P. Morgan. We could have used that upgrade uh, a couple weeks ago. Thank you very much. It's already moved 38%. I don't like chasing upgrades. It's not saying that you don't do it. It's not saying you can't do it. It's not saying you shouldn't do it. It's feeling like a chase, though, to me. I'd rather discover the the gym, so to speak. Credit Suisse has raised their view on Chevron today to outperform, moving the price target to 80 bucks. If you believe the dollar's bottomed or is in bottoming territory, now is the time to pick up the Exxon Mobiles and the Chevrons. From the file called, yay, Darwin gets one. A New Mexico man falls to his death reenacting ultimate fighting move. I almost don't have to read even further in the story, do I? Let's just read the headline one more time and relish it. A New Mexico man falls to his death reenacting ultimate fighting move. Now, I don't have a heart. You all know that. One day, I'm going to donate my body to science, and they're going to go, he doesn't have a heart. How did he live for so many years without a heart? A New Mexico man fell to his death from a third-story hotel window while reenacting a move from the Ultimate Fighting Championship. 25-year-old Darnell Jones was pushed into the window while celebrating the marriage of a family member at a, at a hotel. Now, this is where the story just kind of got weird. He was reenacting a move that he just saw on the television from Ultimate Fighting Championship, but he was also celebrating a wedding. Now, when you're celebrating a wedding, probably a pretty good idea. Not to have on Ultimate Fighting Championship, because there's no romance in that. So the window broke, he fell 20 feet to the sidewalk below, pronounced dead at the hospital. So I'm feeling kind of bad that I'm throwing that one in the old Darwinian file and and laughing. But let's face it, he wasn't going to be a productive member of society and a taxpayer, was he? Um, Other big stories out there. I got a story on gelato today. Uh, You're going to say gelato? Isn't that that Italian ice cream that's yummy, delicious, and it's 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 super heavy and dense? Yeah. And is there money in gelato? Uh-huh. And I'll teach you a little bit about that later in the show. But uh, from the, 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 the sad news of the day, and my heart is broken right now. I see this story, and it just makes me want to cry. Beer sales are, are continuing to, to slide. Beer volume's down 5.5% the week ending September 6th compared with the same period a year ago. For the 13-week quarter, volumes of beer sales off 6.3%. Now, there's actually a trade publication called Beer of Business Daily. 
How would you like to be the editor of Beer Business Daily? Wouldn't that be a cool job? A couple months ago, someone called in the show and said, you know, Rob, one of my tricks to get women is that when I go to Vegas, I, I print up faint, phony business cards and like I'll, I'll put on president, you know, Google.com and the chicks will think I'm president at Google.com or something like that. And uh, here's a business card I'd like to have. I'd like to be the editor of Beer Business Daily. Sounds like a pretty cool, cushy job, huh? What did you do today? I got sloppy drunk. Forgot to write, you know. I'm sure their publications have a lot of slurs in them, which is kind of a funny thought because typing, you don't slur when you type, but it would be funny if you did slur when you typed. Anyway, you get the idea. So that's a sad story. We're drinking less. Economy is hitting us. The recession is hitting the beer industry. It's worthy of note. Coming up at 1030, I'm going to be interviewing someone from the Wall Street Journal. Matthew Rose. We're going to talk the Devil's Dictionary. I can't make this stuff up. What is the Devil's Dictionary? Things like credit default swap. It's those terms that have come up in the last couple of years that you're like, I wish I didn't know that. Next hour, I'm going to be talking jobs. i got the job lady on. You know the hat lady from Cron who does the annoying movie reviews? No one likes her. You go, how did she stay in business for this, so many years? We mock her. We, we let her talk. Well, I got the job lady who's not the hat lady. You're listening to 9, 10 a.m. You can find me online by going www.talk910.com, talk910.com. 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in the air. If I say anything that stimulates you, give me a call. More stimulating talk from Rob Black. I'm John Cobell. I'm Ken Shampo. We're the John and Ken Show. Join us weekdays from 3 to 7. Now, Rob Black on 910 AM, more stimulating talk. What's with these homies dissing my girl? Black talking all things financial. Sometimes we don't talk all things financial during the commercial break. Um, we played one up. I've seen horrible things. And what's that mean? We started. Uh, Jen was talking about trains. Jen's the board op. She does this on the boards. Um, and if you were watching the camera, you know what I mean. She does that. Moves her arms up and downs and turns dials left and right. She said that she, you know, I said I saw a, a, a dead body and. She said, she's found a dead body on the beach. And Heidi goes, I saw a homeless person hit, get hit by a train. I, and I went up to her and I said, I saw a homeless wheelchair person get crushed by an 18-wheeler. It's, it's morbid, but we like talking about things that are morbid because, thank God, they didn't happen to us, um, I suppose. Anyway, I uh, jumped on the 910, talk910.com webpage. And there you can click on my big head. And my head is huge. I remember back in the day... When Indiana Jones was just coming out, all the kids wanted to get an Indiana Jones hat. Don't know why. In hindsight, it's pretty lame, but I wanted to get an Indiana Jones fedora type hat, and they didn't make hats big enough for my head. So I got a big head, so go to talk910.com, talk910.com, punch the big Rob Black head, and you can jump online. They're talking about online. What does the word Mai Tai mean? And mean sugary drink that gives you a hangover is what most people think. Some people think it means comes from out of this world. But there's a community out there. I call them the Blackheads. They're the fans of the show. And um, I love them and I support them. And they're talking alcoholism. And 
that's fine by me. That's fine by me. I just, you know, brought it up by bringing up beer. Now, this is interesting. Uh, one of the stories that's out there today, federal government and states, they're girding themselves for the next foreclosure crisis in the country's housing downturn, which are the payment option adjustable rate mortgages. Now, those are called ARMS, adjustable rate mortgages. You don't want them. You don't need them. Unless we're in a high interest rate environment and you think we're going into a low interest rate environment. That's when I would go, yes, please, I'll take an adjustable rate mortgage. But we're not in that. And adjustable rate mortgages are part of the problem that we got into with this whole mortgage mess. Instead of doing a 30-year fix, people would do a five-year. And because you did a five-year, banks and, and brokerage companies were willing to lend you money at a lower rate because they knew they were going to get you on another transaction in five years. That was the goal, or a three-year. They knew the transaction was going to get you. Now, it looks like payment option arms are about to explode. So says Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller. He says uh, members of President Barack Obama's administration and he are discussing ways to combat mortgage scams. New monthly payments can be five or ten times what borrowers are accustomed to paying. When you have an adjustable rate mortgage, you, you'll get what's called a teaser rate. Maybe it'll be one year at 3% or five years at 4%. It's a tease. But then you, what you find is in five years, you can't refinance. Or if you do it, balloon, or if you can't refinance, that adjustable rate mortgage turns into a 30-year mortgage at 10% rates, 20% rates. That's where it kills you. It's not in the tease. It's in the adjustment. Now, there's... When we're talking adjustable rate mortgages, and I'm telling you, you got to be careful out there. Don't be stupid. Don't get one. You don't need one. If you if that's the only thing you qualify for, you shouldn't be buying a house. That's the sign that you don't qualify is when they got to give you something other than a 30-year fixed. Now, news out today, and I applaud this. Regulators are considering banning upfront fees for loan modification help. You hear the commercials. Are you about to lose your home? Is your home being foreclosed on? Contact me, Rob Black, attorney at law. And what I'm going to ask for is give me $3,500 and I'll take a look at your case. And then I'm going to call the mortgage company and I'm going to charge you. I'm going to take out that $3,500. I'm going to use that as my retainer. I'm going to ching 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 I'm going to nickel and dime you until it's all gone. And at the end of it, hopefully you got a loan modification. If not, you're screwed. So the move by the FTC... Federal and state officials are trying to expand on a crackdown on mortgage-related scams. Isn't it amazing? We get into this adjustable rate mortgage. We get into a no-income scam. We get into a mortgage meltdown. And what comes out of it? Attorneys who are willing to rip you off. Or people who act like attorneys who are willing to rip you off. Now, federal regulators taking aim at common tactic used in mortgage frauds are going to look at a nationwide ban on companies charging upfront fees for helping homeowners modify loans to avoid foreclosure. The move comes as federal and state officials plan to expand a crackdown on mortgage-related scams to other schemes that prey on debt-ridden consumers desperate to stay financially afloat during the recession. Doesn't it suck? We get into these awful loan scenarios, predatory loans, going into communities that aren't well-educated on mortgage products. And then what do we do? To help bail them out, we screw them again. People are paying up front. They get no real guarantee that the modification service is actually going to modify the loan. There's just a lot of bad actors out there, in my opinion. It's going to take, at very least, a statewide effort to stop them. Nationally, an effort like this would be great. 
but in the state of California, I'd appreciate it. These can be as high as $4,000. They've been used by con artists to rip off consumers. They aren't completely banned in most states. In California, for example, some services are allowed to charge them. Though the city of Los Angeles has banned out front fees and two bills awaiting Governor Schwarzenegger's signature would prohibit them in different ways. So, again, sometimes our congressmen and legislators get it right. Usually they don't, but this is one where they should try to protect you, in my opinion. To get your calls in the air, it's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. Now, here's where our government gets it wrong. Have you heard about the mojito of shame? <laughs> Have you heard about the party blender? Well, Californians, the California Air Resources Board, find an Orange County-based, on-the-edge marketing company called CSK, Craig and Auto Parts, so the California Air Resource Board fined Craig and Auto Parts $240,000 for selling a Chinese-made gas-powered blender. Now, what sort of totalitarian Obama nation is this? Man can't even run his two-stroke, dirty, filthy, ear-split, and jack-to-the-max chainsaw engine blender with handlebars. This blender has handlebars. Where would you use such a blender? Tailgate parties. So gasoline-powered blenders may be this year's tailgate sensation, but drinkers should not be putting them out there in any way, shape, or form where the police can see them. In large part, you will get fined. And uh, Craig and Auto Parts fined $240,000 for selling gas-powered blenders, which aren't so good for the environment. And one more story of note for you. I'm just a Santa Claus of stories of notes today, aren't I? Steve McQueen. Do you remember Stephen Queen? Great movie, The Great Escape. Another one, Papillon. Bullet. San Francisco-based Bullet. Can you argue with Steve McQueen? Well, Santa Paula Ranch, once owned by Steve McQueen and his third wife, Barbara Minty. Love that name, Barbara Minty. I'd like to marry a woman with the last name Minty. I mean, can you imagine the hilarity that would ensue? Anyway, um, his home that was in Santa Paula has just come on the market for $1.95 million. Now, it's a 15.5-acre ranch. Now, it's an 1892 Victorian house. It's got stained glass windows. But here's where it gets interesting. This is where I'm going. That's interesting. The ranch has three acres of vineyards, fruit trees, and a three-acre equestrian facility, as well as, this is, I want one of these. This is the a real estate agent. I'm the real estate agent's dream. It's got a 4,500-square-foot airplane hangar where he kept his cars and motorcycle collection. I don't know what I'd put in a 4,500-square-foot airplane hangar, but I'd figure out something to put in it. You get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. 800-345-5639. Coming up, I'm going to be talking with a writer from the Wall Street Journal, Matthew Rose. He's written what I would refer to as kind of a, a humorous take on some of the words we've learned in the last year from Wall Street. Next hour, we're going to be talking about how to get a job, how not to lose a job. We're going to be talking with a job expert. Unemployment's high. I got a cure for you. Stick with me. It's the Rob Black Show. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. Hopefully you've seen the guy who hit that hole-in-one for a million dollars. 
some writer with lots and lots of time at Yahoo just posted an article saying Tiger Woods has played 1,044 holes of golf this year. He's earned roughly $9.7 million or $9,300 per hole. And this golfer yesterday, Tuesday actually, hit a hole-in-one for big bucks, made a million dollars, a celebrity classic in Utah, 150 yarders, $1 million stroke. Pretty cool to watch a guy celebrate winning a million dollars. It 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 makes you smile. Uh, makes you smile to say so to speak, so to speak. <laughs> Let's bring in uh, Matthew Rose. Matthew Rose, who is Matthew Rose? He's an editor in the Washington Bureau for the Wall Street Journal. How are you, Mr. Rose? I'm very well. How are you? I'm I'm, I'm well. Now, give me a little bit of background. What's it like being an editor for the Wall Street Journal? Oh, there's a question. Um, it's kind of cool, I can, right? I can yes, yes, no. I, it is, it is. I get paid to do wonderful things. Um, I I can tell you for the, for the past. 18 months or so, it's been a torrential whirlwind um, ever since the financial crisis started. Uh, uh, it's been nothing but a series of surprises. The news every day gets bigger and bigger and never ceases to get smaller. And things that we would, in an otherwise normal universe, spend an entire year thinking about and writing about, you know, get superseded the next day by something even larger. So it's been a, it's been a stupendously uh, fascinating but exhausting experience, much like I'd imagine for, the, you know, for everybody else in the rest of the world. It's been fun, to say the yeah. least. My background is I was an analyst and a financial guy on the East Coast, and I eventually yeah. sold my shop and came west so I could talk financial media because I love this stuff. Um, you that fairly well. Yeah, yeah. And now um, you're an editor for the Wall Street Journal. I read the Wall Street Journal each and every day, wake up, cover to cover. Um, it, it's got great financial reporting, but something struck me as cute in a recent article that you published called The Devil's Dictionary because – I just snickered. You just you snickered by the take that you had. Is it sarcastic? Is it looking through Wall Street with this just wicked eye backwards? How would you describe your article, The Devil's Dictionary? Well, it's funny that you, that wasn't the only reaction. We had a couple of comments on the website that said, this is funny. I didn't think the Wall Street Journal was funny, which I'm not quite sure how to take that. Um, uh, but it seems to be a fairly common reaction. This was based off – I can't claim credit for the idea um, – uh, it was a, a suggestion from an, uh, an editor in New York who recalled the, 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 the Devil's Dictionary written by Ambrose Bierce, who was a satirical writer, turn of the last century, and it was originally published as the Snicks Word Book, which kind of sums up what we're talking about here, which is a, you know, a satirical um, and somewhat sort of sideways look at regular common words and what they actually really mean, um, you know, separate from their, their literal definitions. And, you know, the, the financial crisis and the credit crunch have spawned Sort of this sort of vast array of neologisms and bastardizations and and strange currencies that have sort of seeped into everyday conversation that people who who you know otherwise wouldn't give a fig about Wall Street will probably find themselves, if not familiar with, certainly kind of will there'll, there'll be echoes of echoes of these words in their daily conversation. And it's it's gotten into our brain. Like we've all heard U-shaped recovery. I use U-shaped recovery. I talk about V-shaped recoveries. And for instance, you you write and I'm quoting you: U-shaped recovery noun. An opportunity for economists to incorrectly predict the timing and nature of the recessions end just as successfully as they incorrectly predicted its inception, depth, and duration. Variants include V-shaped recovery, L-shaped recovery, and the sad-faced shaped recovery. That's that's damn funny stuff. That's good. I like. I'm glad you found it funny. The other one, the one that I, the way in which people reacted to this, I think, depends on how much of a geek they were. Some of the finance geeks found the TCE one pretty funny, and that's uh, TCE. If you remember. The, the stress test for, from earlier in the year. Sure. I certainly remember the stress around the stress tests. Um, tangible common equity was a strange concept that was, um, I'm sure, not invented by regulators, but it was, it was a, a measure of 
bank's health that no one really outside of a small cadre of, 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 of economists and accountants would have ever heard of and was banded around for days around the stress test. And, and, you know, for the life of us, we couldn't get anyone to properly explain what this thing was. So we had a definition that basically said no one knows what this thing is. Another good example, green shoots. Noun, the first of spring often clobbered by summer's heat and autumn's rain. But another definition, according to you, is a sign that the economy is falling apart more slowly than previously thought. It, it's it's cynically wicked. It's it's fantastic. Daisy's pushing up. Think also wishful thinking. Um, is this just a way that we could laugh at it because it's been a, a tragedy? It's been a crisis. I think that's part of it. I, you know, there's, there's. I mean, it, it was it was designed in part to sound a little bit like the original Ambrose Bierce, which you can Google him and and the the, the original Devil's Dictionary is mostly online these days. Um, there was one he did. I'm gonna miss. I'm gonna misquote this, but it was something like a definition of a of a conservative. Uh, is someone who likes to keep terrible things, and as opposed to a liberal who likes to invent all kinds of new terrible things. Um, so it, it's very much in that in that in that vein. It probably also I have been told, and I have to assume this is true, and you can probably guess from my accent. It's slightly English in its style of wit, um, in that it's slightly mordant um, and you know laden laden with obscure references. Um, so that may be partly where that's coming from too. So Benny Hill, if you're going to take us to. <laughs> If you're going yeah, to almost the same thing. If you're going to talk English humor, <laughs> we, we Americans we get you know faulty towers. We get uh, what we're supposed to get out of English humor. But Benny Hill, can you explain that to no, me? No, I can't. And the thing that I found the most, I mean, I've lived here now for for more than a decade and uh, did a master's degree in American University, so I spent you know vast majority of my you know, a large chunk of my adult life here. Uh, no one in Britain cares about Benny Hill. No one even recalls watching it or makes references to it at all. I think it, has, it must have something to do with the strange PBS scheduling that, that, that people in this country really find Benny Hill as sort of symptomatic of British humor. Because it, it's uh, people falling down and putting knickers on their head doesn't really cut it, I think, these days. We thank you for John Cleese. We thank you for Faulty Towers. We, we don't yeah, get absolutely. Benny Hill. Yes, right. So, right. so you are an editor of the Washington Bureau. Um, is Was- How's Washington doing now since Obama's come to town? I know Young people love to live there. It's flourishing on a lot of levels. How's the energy in Washington? Uh, uh, it is. I, I've never been involved with uh, covering an area that has, as I said earlier, has been a sort of relentless uh, a drum roll of giant events that happen one thing after the after, after the other. I mean, just consider the last two days, and this is getting a bit wonky, but you know. Two days ago, we broke a story about the administration dumping its plan to uh, erect a missile shield defenses in Eastern Europe. Today, we have another scoop about the Fed planning to regulate bank pay in more and, and, and invasive ways than it ever has done before. You know, these are two giant stories, the ramifications of which will, you know, you'll be talking about for years to come, but it's one after the other, boom, 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 boom. And that feels very much, you know, I think some of the fatigue in the nation about politics and some of the, uh, you know, fairly bitter disputes that you're, you're seeing and the argumentation about what happens now is, in part, the sort of function of this sort of giant overload of significant policy moves all being done at the same time. It's a little head spinning. Now, I've been saying recently the whole Wilson, you lie thing. I kind of like it. it. It's kind of sexy to have our politicians, you know, break code, so to speak. In England, you've got parliament, right? And they yeah. kind of scream at each other. It was. It, it, it did get mentioned a few times at the entire address. The entire, joint, the entire joint congressional address did sound more like a session of the British Parliament, and there's something to that, you know, waving pieces of paper and harumphing into their, you know, parliamentarians harumphing into their chests. There was something to that. I, I think what I think one of the things that marked it as different is that, you know, Americans have a great deal more um, sort of instinctive reverence for their institutions of state than the Brits do. That's true. Hate them. 
We at least pretend to say that. Yes, but, uh, anyways, um, let's wrap this up, uh, Mr. Rose. Is there anything else that we need to know from Washington? Oh, uh, uh, um, uh, a billion things, and uh, uh, the best way to do it would be to what, do what you do every day and read the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, the Journal's a great read. Um, you don't have to actually pimp that on me. Cause, uh, uh, I just thought I'd try just in case. I tell people Financial Times is a lot like the Wall Street Journal, but done in England. And the Wall Street Journal is the best read in the United States. Next is the New York Times. Arc San Francisco Chronicle, it's not even good for kitty litter. It's, it's useless out here. <laughs> good. Thanks very much, Matthew. Rose. Well, thank um, you. Damn funny article, and I, I super appreciate you coming on with us. It's, oh, I appreciate you taking me on. Absolutely. Come on anytime you want. I like the British accent. It sound, makes me sound more classy. It's the Devil's Dictionary Financial Edition. You can Google this. You'll find it online. It's the Wall Street Crisis 2008. Some of the you know other ones that are, are mentioned or worth mentioning, like credit default swap, uh, a complex financial instrument vital to the functioning of a modern economy and the way it spreads risk amongst consenting parties. Or another definition is a complex financial instrument that nearly destroyed modern capitalism. Uh, it's just a, it's a good read. And again, it shows you that the last year, last 18 months, it's been tragic. It's been a crisis and we can laugh about it. We've learned a lot during the process. Credit rating firms, firms that do scant rating of people with scant credit. Funny stuff, right? Let's take a break here. When we come back, we got more financial news for you. It's the Rob Black Show, 800-345-5639. It's 800-345-5639. What do you learn on the show? Benny Hill, not so funny. What else do you learn? Up to you. It's Rob Black Show. You're listening to Rob Black. 9, 10 a.m. More stimulating talk. The show that follows my show out there today, it's being pushed around by Politico magazine, and it's talking about Glenn Beck, and it says two people that Glenn Beck scares the hell out of, Barack Obama, as well as Rush Limbaugh, talking about how he's on a huge role in the last month, Fox News talker has claimed the scalp of President's green job czar, motivated thousands of conservatives to turn out for town hall meetings. And a September 12 march on Washington pummeled Democrats over Acorn and Obama's czars and landed himself on the spot of Time magazine. Not a bad cover, huh? So, interesting. Things change is, is what I get out of that. And entertainment. Or as I like to refer to it, infotainment. So Beck beating Limbaugh in the eyes of conservatives. How things change. 800-345-5639 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-345-5639. I wonder if I'll ever get on the cover of Time Magazine. Somehow I doubt it. I know that I'm a, a patron saint of the investor in the Bay Area, but I don't think I'll ever make it to Time Magazine unless I kill lots of people and stuff them in my basement. And I'm not going to do that just to get on the cover of Time. Elsewhere, student loans are about to get reformed or overhauled, depending on how you look at it. A bill passed by the House, it could cut out banks from doing student loans. And it could send federal funds right to students. Now, the U.S. House of Representatives passed legislation that's going to make the biggest change in federal student loans in decades. Ultimately driving banks out of business of student loans. Not out of business. Totally, but not doing student loans. Bill was passed 253-171. Party line vote. It's going to save $87 billion over 10 years. 
It's going to slash subsidies to banks that have been criticized as excessive. Most of the money saved would be used to increase the amount of aid given to low-income students from the Pell Grants. Now, the choice before us is clear, so says Representative George Miller, Democrat out of California. He's the lead sponsor of the bill. He said, we can either keep sending these subsidies to banks or we can start sending them directly to students. There's a situation you almost got to agree on, right? Now, how will the, this affect student loans? Well, the bill's going to change the source of federal college loans in some cases, but it will not change their size. Currently, a student can obtain low-interest loans that are guaranteed and subsidized by the United States government. Will this bill affect interest rates? Yes. It will block a scheduled increase in subsidized loan rates to 6.8% in 2012 from 3.4% in 2011. So we're going to keep cost of loans low for our college kids. And I think that's a good thing. How will this bill save money? It's going to end subsidies to the banks. The government's going to save about $87 billion from stopping giving subsidies to banks, which ultimately go out and lend money to college students. Now, how, what will happen with that money? The biggest chunk of that $87 billion, it's going to be $40 billion. It's going to go to the Pell Grant program for low-income students. How will that affect Pell Grant students? They're going to get more money. So in 2019, in 2010, you get $5,350. $5,350 for a Pell Grant. That's not a lot of money. When you when you take a look at college costs are, you know, pushing 25000 for a year now, that's not a lot of money. Now, it's going to up that number to $6,900 by 2019. And again, that's not a lot of money. Now, when will these changes take effect? July 1. Does President Obama support the bill? Yes. He's looking for bigger changes in college financial aid. If the bill would save money, why did some lawmakers oppose it? Here's the answer for you. A lot of conservatives see the bill as a government takeover of the student loan business, which is akin to Democrats proposing uh, to establish new government health insurance option that would compete with private insurers. Others are worried that the proposed changes is unnecessary and abrupt and that problems will be better addressed by reforming the program rather than abolishing the role of banks. Uh, Sally May may go out of business because of this. That's another issue, but that's something I digress from. comes back to what does our federal government owe us? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What beyond that? Uh, protect our borders. You know, keep us a sovereign nation. Bail out banks. Give us health care. Pay for kids' college. I don't know. I don't pretend to have all the answers. I just act like I have a mom, but I don't pretend to. 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. It's 800-345-5639 to get your calls in there. Now, here's a story that it warms my cuckolds, which I don't really know what a cuckold is, but I figure I got one um, or two. I may even have four for all I know. Italy. I got a story from Italy. Straight from Rome, in fact. Gelato makers. Gelato makers are bucking the recession. How are they bucking the recession? And you're saying, Black, you better give me something I can learn from. I'm going to give you something you can learn from. Gelato makers are going to China and going to Japan. They're making ice cream that's consumed fresh or it perishes. The Italian market for fresh served ice cream grew about 2% last year. So that's the Italian market. Now, exports of, of gelato up 43%. So that's good business. Don't you wish your business was up 43% last year? How did they do it? They went to Japan. They went to China. Lots of Italian ice cream makers have already made good abroad, real good abroad, especially in Central and Eastern Europe. Now China and Japan are the new frontier. Here's the angle. Rising disposable income in Asia. It's fuel demand for Italian-style ice cream. Natural food trends have boosted interest in traditional gelato, which is made from fresher ingredients than industrial ice cream. 
Hungary, Austria, Germany, the Netherlands, and Spain now have gelato makers associations to ensure quality. Now, Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Marco Polo. Butter parquet. Marco Polo is believed to have returned from China in the 13th century with a recipe for a dessert resembling sherbet. Sherbet. That's according to the International Dairy Foods Association. Now, again, do we really need an International Dairy Foods Association that works in Washington? Probably not, but we have one, so let's just move forward. Now, more than 1,500 years ago, no, 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 1,500 years before Marco Polo in the 13th century, 1,500 years before that, Alexander the Great reported he ate snow mixed with honey and nectar, and the Roman Emperor Nero had slaves collect snow from Mount Vesuvius for his ice desserts. Milk-based ice cream was reportedly first concocted in the 16th century Florence. So, no matter the historical origin of gelato or ice cream, the lesson that I get from this I, I actually am kind of intrigued that Alexander the Great ate snow with honey and nectar. And I am actually kind of intrigued that, you know, the Roman Emperor Nero had snow collected for his desserts. But the lesson that I learned is disposable incomes of China and Japan. The young have jobs. Invest in areas where the young have jobs. Invest in middle classes. That's the lesson I want you to learn. Asia's got a rising middle class. And there's two big ones. There's China and there's India. Now, you could say a lot of things about our, our capitalism and how messy it is, how we create jobs and we destroy jobs, and how cyclical we are because of that. But China's got a growing middle class, and they're going to eat their damn gelato. And they're going to want a better car. They're going to say, I'm tired of this bicycle. Give me a, a little scooter. They're going to say, I'm tired of the scooter. Give me a bigger car. They're going to be consumers. They're going to say, I'm tired of work. I just worked 40 hours and my boss is a jerk. We should isolate that, that audio. My boss is a jerk. So when he fires me, he could say, listen to what you said about me. Um, anyway, when people work, when they move from the farm to the big city, like we did in the 1950s, when we move from the farm to the factories, economies flourish. And you want to invest in flourishing economies. Same thing's going on in China and India according to gelato industry. Gelato industry tells no lies. Coming up next hour, I'm going to talk jobs. I'm going to talk employment. I'm going to talk with job lady. Paula Todd. She's a presidente. 910am.talk910.com. Talk910.com. It's the Rob Black Show. It's call-in show 800-345-5639. In the first hour, we got an English-speaking dude on. Pretty good catch. More stimulating talk. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.